Chapter 33 of Hagar's Daughter, a story of Southern caste prejudice. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Hagar's Daughter, a story of Southern caste prejudice by Pauline Hopkins. Chapter 33 thursday there was a settling down for a fresh start an intense expectancy throughout the court all felt that they were nearing a crisis there were many new faces seen amid the throng and among them were the well-known features of mrs bowen and jewel both closely shrouded in their somber mourning robes speculation was rife as to the line of the defense what were they to hear now what was what could be the defense that could overpower the weight of evidence already given which seemed to make a fatal verdict a foregone conclusion and yet somehow from the highest to the lowest of that hushed excited throng there was a curious subtle feeling that some such resistless power lay in that reserved defense now about to be launched perhaps the wish was father to the thought the calm confidence and lack of anxiety on the part of the defense hinted of powerful resources one lawyer remarked to another it looks as if he had a reserve force that will absolutely reverse the battle the prisoner sat with folded arms cool motionless as a statue outwardly but within the man's blood was on fire now governor lowe with courtly manner and in sonorous tones took up his part in the drama beginning with the prisoner's alleged reckless youth as brought out in miss madison's testimony mainly he admitted that his client had been wild but not to the point of profligacy he spoke tenderly of the absent aged father a helpless invalid and his indulgence of an only child motherless too from birth proud passionate high-spirited indulged uncontrolled personally and in the expenditure of money and that at this most dangerous period of a lad's life the young man had met miss madison and succumbed to her fascinations whom he intended to show was but a beautiful adventuress the court he said has been prejudiced against my client more by this woman's evidence than by any other testimony introduced for the government added to that the sympathy of the whole audience has been aroused by the spectacle of a helpless woman's trust betrayed bah let me briefly unfold to you gentlemen of the jury the truth of the garbled tale so skillfully woven by a designing woman governor lowe then related the story of the past winter and the broken engagement as known to our readers with added facts to show that his client had in no way wronged the woman who knew perfectly well what she was about having previously become a party in a conspiracy designed to force cuthbert sumner into marriage and at the same time give control of the wealth of a well-known family into the hands of the gang through the daughter of the house the betrothed of the accused counsel then told of aurelia's proposition of the day before the opening of the trial and that the warden was a listener to the conversation between the prisoner and the witness of her offer to give testimony at the trial which should free him as she knew the guilty party of the prisoner's scornful rejection of the offer and his final retort when he told her that if she were as pure as snow he would never wed with one of colored blood 
here the astute counsel paused for his telling point to take effect nor was he disappointed in his calculations for its action was as an electric shock upon the aristocratic gathering and now your honor and gentlemen of the jury he resumed with solemn impressiveness i am going to prove that my client's version of his connection with this affair is absolutely true that he was not the perpetrator of the deed but by the irony of fate he has been placed in a position where it was next to impossible for him to prove his innocence after mr sumner left miss bradford in the office on that fatal sunday night a person who shall be nameless still for a time a man high in official life a leader in society did enter said office and talk with the murdered woman whom he had promised to marry in a short time while there they took wine together he himself pouring it out and placing in her portion the arsenic grains of which were found in the empty glass and in the woman's stomach after death as testified to before you by the coroner at all again he paused for he could feel the horror that thrilled the crowd this man gentlemen of the jury was aware of the relation formerly existing between miss madison and the accused and scoundrel that he is used the woman as a tool for the base purpose of blackmail which fortunately a higher power has frustrated and for other reasons as well planned to leave mr sumner so surrounded and connected with miss bradford as to render it impossible for him to extricate himself from the charge of murder the counsel's manner was most effective as he made his charges the whole scene so dramatic that only a sensational melodrama could have rivaled its power a subdued whew went from mouth to mouth as a faint glimmer of the truth began to show something of the possibilities of the line taken by the defense finally thanks to the astuteness experience and daring of the very clever detective who has really had active charge of the whole case and to whom the highest praise is due a witness of the crime will be produced the audience was astounded they had hoped for a sensation their desire was more than realized governor lowe wound up his brilliant effort with a slight peroration knowing well its good effect upon the jury and amidst murmurs of applause was ready to call his witness the first was john williams sumner's valet who testified to the regularity of his master's habits and his abstemious living during the cross-examination john got angry and told the attorney-general that the sumners were top-crust sure and never one of them had been known to show up as underdone dough no half and halves if it wasn't so he'd eat his own head he didn't object to meeting any man who disputed the pint in a slugging match the hardest to fend off the judge called him to order and the witness took his seat in a towering rage over the impertinence of southern white folks anyhow then west and badger took the stand to refute the charge of inveterate gambling that had been made against the prisoner by miss madison west was questioned only about sumner and not of his own connection with the madisons for which he was devoutly thankful the fact was brought out that the madison house was a gambling palace where men were fleeced of money for the sake of the smiles of the beautiful aurelia by the young fellow's tale of sumner's warning to him against allowing himself to be ensnared by the madison clique the watchman and one or two cleaners were also placed upon the stand to prove that mr sumner did leave the treasury building at the hour sworn to by him 
after that the motherless and worse than fatherless child a beautiful fair-haired boy was led forward and stood upon a chair in the witness box to give emphasis to the point made by counsel that the dead woman had a pressing claim upon some man who wished to rid himself of her as an encumbrance some of the women spectators wept and many men felt uncomfortable about the eyes then governor lowe said i call aunt henny sergeant two officers led the tottering old negress from the anteroom to the witness chair aunt henny had aged perceptibly since her imprisonment but her faculties were as keen as ever as she entered the crowded courtroom there was a cry quickly suppressed from the back seats of the room oliver that's your granny my god she's living yet aunt henny i believe you have been in the employ of the government at the treasury building yes honey i has tell the court how you came to be employed well honey i found a big pile of greenbacks must have been about a million dollars i reckon one night when i was sweeping and i just froze to em all night i never turned em loose till the officers come in the morning money's a mighty uncertain article chillin people won't steal if they don't get a chance that's my belief then the president and lots of other gemmen made a big fuss over me and they done give me my job for life now aunt henny do you remember where you were on sunday evening march twentieth between six and ten o'clock yes honey i does for i weren't in bed neither was i to home i was at the building doing some dusting in general benson's apartment that i left over from the afternoon before yes well tell us what happened that evening at the building well honey i went in past a watchman who asked me what i was after and i told him then i went up to general benson's apartment which is where i'd left off i has a skeleton key that lets me get to where i wants to go after i'd been in about an hour i heard people talking in one of the rooms the private office and i goes across the entry and peeks round the corner of the pote the what interrupted the judge porte massa judge don't you know what a porte am she means portier your honor explained governor low with a smile go on auntie i peek round the corner of the pote and i seed miss bradford and the general sitting talking as budge as two buzzards he was just making time sparking her like any young feller and for a man as old as i know he is i tell you jimmin he was just making that poor gal believe the moon was made of green cheese and he'd got the first slice a suppressed laugh rippled through the room what happened then honey my curiosity was bawling hot to see what was going on and i keep peeking and peeking by and by i hear the glasses clicking and i took another look cause though i'm a temperance woman and i belong to the high court to gethsemane and the daughters of the bridal veil i never believed a good wine was going harm an old rheumatism woman like me no sir there ain't none of your stiff-necked temperance about your aunt henny i ain't no better than quality i knowed that was good stuff that the chief had in there cause i done taste some of it before and i'd promised myself to taste it again that very night as soon as that couple was gone while i was thinking about it the general turned his back to miss bradford as he poured the wine from decanter and that brung him full facing me what i was a peeking at him and bless my soul jemmin 
i seen dat villain drop something white into de glass and den turn round and hand it to miss bradford i was dat scared i thought i'd drop and while i was making up my mind what to do suddenly she throwed up both arms and screeched out my god charles you've poisoned me great sensation in the court and the crier restored order what happened then auntie bless my soul honey i don't know what did happen something that never come across me in all my life before i tell you jemmin it takes something to make a colored woman faint but that's just what i did massa judge when i see dat po' girl throw up her arms and heard her screech i lost all purchase of myself and i ain't got over it yet the old negress rocked herself to and fro in her chair she made a weird picture her large eyes peering out from behind the silver bowed glasses her turbaned head and large gold hoop earrings and a spotless white handkerchief crossed on her breast over the neat gingham dress and then auntie gently prompted governor low when i come to myself again i was in prison and my own son-in-law was a-keepin me locked up was that the reason you did not inform the authorities what you had seen asked the judge yes sir yes master judge now aunt hanny i want you to tell the court when and where you knew general benson before you saw him in the employ of the government said governor low we object your honor promptly interrupted the attorney general the objection is not well taken mr attorney general i think governor low has a right to put the answer in evidence we are not here to defeat the ends of justice proceed aunt henny he ain't general benson no more than i'm a white woman his name's st clair ensign he was born next door to the sergeant place on the ensign plantation i's one of the first ones what held him when he was born i's got a scar on me judge where dat imp of the devil hit me with a block of wood when he weren't but seven years old first time i seed him in dat apartment i knowed him time i sot my eye on him and den i knowed there'd be ructions kicked up for if ever there was a born limb of the devil it's dat same st clair ensign that will do auntie perhaps my legal brother may wish to cross-examine the attorney general then took the witness in hand and conducted a skillful cross-examination without shaking the old woman's testimony finally he said one last question and i am through you spoke of your son-in-law what has he to do with general benson he snorted aunt henny indignantly there ain't no kind of devilment st clair ensign was ever mixed up in that ike johnson weren't there to help him ike's my gal's husband he's general benson's valley he was gave to st clair ensign when that devil was a baby in the cradle during the testimony of this last witness general benson and major madison were busily talking to each other with an occasional word to the attorney general as aunt henny retired to her seat in the anteroom governor low arose and in an impassioned speech moved the prisoner's release and the taking into custody of the man really guilty general benson scarcely waiting for him to finish the attorney general sprang to his feet and attacked the defense fiercely then ensued a scene unparalleled in the history of courts of justice on what would you base such an unheard-of precedent on the evidence of a negress would you impugn the honor of a brilliant soldier a brave gentleman courteous genial standing flawless before the eyes of the entire country 
such a man as general benson cannot be condemned and suspicioned by the idiotic ramblings of an ignorant nigger brought here by the defense to divert attention from the real criminal who attempts to shield himself under the influence of the bowen millions in the same spirit that has actuated my legal brother while deprecating violence of any kind as beneath the dignity of our calling i would feel myself justified in sounding the slogan of the south lynch law if i thought this honorable body could be influenced to so unjust a course as is suggested by governor lowe instantly a chorus of voices took up the refrain that's the talk no nigger's word against a white man this is a white man's country yet for a brief space judge jury and advocates were nonplussed women shrieked and men flinched not knowing what the end might be but above the uproar which was answered by the crowd outside rang the voice of the police sergeant as he formed his men in line at the door ready to charge the would-be violators of the peace before the determined front of the police the crowd quieted down and order was restored then governor lowe arose once more may it please your honor and gentlemen of the jury i have still another witness to present and the last one i call the chief of the secret service division once again there was silence in the room curiosity was on tiptoe many men in high places knew the chief well by reputation but had never met him he had successfully coped with many important cases and had saved the government millions of dollars he entered the witness box calmly as if oblivious of the curiosity of the crowd mr henson i believe that for many years you have been in the secret service yes for fifteen years i have served the government in the capacity of a detective previous to that time i was a soldier and served three years on the federal side at the front now mr henson we will ask you to tell the court what you know of this case in your own way at the first sound of his voice mrs bowen who up till this time had been sitting with lowered veil suddenly swept it to one side and stared at the man in the witness box with a strained startled gaze his eyes wandering over the audience rested on her white face for one instant he wavered and seemed to hesitate then by an effort he regained his composure and began his story i was first called into this case by miss jewel bowen i took hold of it because of the interest she aroused in my mind and out of pity for her distress after i met and conversed with mr sumner i was satisfied in my own mind of his innocence and that he was the victim of a conspiracy in a brief incisive way which carried weight to many doubting minds he detailed the substance of the information he had obtained being brought into the issues growing out of the intimacy between general benson and the bowen family because of his engagement to miss bowen i very naturally was placed in charge of the business of accumulating the facts in regard to senator bowen's death in new york i have found out that he made no will while there and that the one offered here for probate by general benson is a forgery after senator bowen's death his daughter was abducted and in the search which i caused to be made for her we found concealed in the same house the negress aunt henny so step by step 
we have been able to fix the murder of miss bradford the forged will of senator bowen the abduction of miss bowen and of aunt hanny the most important witness in this case upon a band of conspirators numbering three people all well known in society and having the entree to the best houses do we quite understand you mr henson asked the judge that in your opinion the prisoner at the bar has been the victim yes your honor but only because he stood in the way of their obtaining the bowen millions that was the intention in the start to obtain that immense fortune other than the strong attachment existing between miss bowen and mr sumner he would never have been molested it now becomes my duty to make a statement in regard to the testimony of the last witness his face was set and stern it was evident that he struggled to maintain his composure what she has said concerning general benson is absolutely true it is a long story gentlemen but i will be as brief as possible then in graphic words he held the vast crowd spellbound he told the story of ellis and st clair ensign as our readers already know it up to the discovery of hagar's african descent the judge forgot his dignity a shock waved over the courtroom people seemed not to breathe the interest was so intense as they listened to the burning words of the speaker when ellis ensign returned home after completing his arrangements for taking his wife abroad he was set upon in ensign woods by his brother and the unprincipled slave-driver walker and beaten into unconsciousness when he came to himself he was in south carolina enrolled as a member of the confederate army here he remained until a good opportunity offered when he deserted and returned home to find that his wife child and slaves of whom aunt henny was a valued house servant had been driven to the washington market where his wife in desperation had thrown herself and infant into the potomac river stripped of his fortune home and family cursing god and man he entered the army on the federal side seeking death but determined to carry destruction first to those who had so cruelly wronged him but death comes not for the asking and the ways of god are inscrutable he paused and passed his hand over his beaded forehead general benson sat like a marble statue and his nails reddened where he gripped the arms of his chair the sound of voices came in from the street through the open window inside there was silence like a grave ellis ensign always supposed that his brother st clair stayed abroad where he had hidden after he was found guilty as one of the conspirators against the life of president lincoln but when i was called into this case i found that he was in this country serving the government he has basely betrayed and still steeped in crime along with his pal walker gentlemen general benson is st clair ensign and his friend major madison is the notorious traitor walker as for me i no longer need to conceal my identity gentlemen he gasped and faltered and put his hand to his throat as though the words choked him general benson is my brother i am ellis ensign as he finished speaking mrs bowen sprang to her feet with a scream she made a step towards him then stopped while these words thrilled the hearts of the listeners ellis ellis i am hagar 
end of chapter thirty three